at the same time, I feel like there's a lot that's missing the point. For example, if you search mindfulness or mindfulness for teens, you're going to get a lot of videos on meditation, calming your breath, yoga, and those are great, but that's not the core of mindfulness. And I think a lot of teens struggle with, and young people struggle with incorporating mindfulness because they're forgetting the root. And I've seen this so much because as I grew up, I was really My life was centered as a homeschooler around mindfulness at its roots, which helped me so much understand this is that mindfulness is a mindset. It's how you do something with a state of awareness for yourself and awareness for things around you. So mindfulness, a mindfulness practice could be anything that you do. It could be drawing, painting, your sports, whatever it is you love to do could be your mindfulness practice. Hi, I'm Sandy Fowler, and you're listening to Mighty Parenting, a podcast where we explore parenting in a way that helps us and our kids find more happiness and fosters emotional wellness, even while solving problems with our teens and young adults. We learn through advice and stories from experts and other parents, and I'm so glad you've joined us. So welcome to Mighty Parenting, where we have real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults in today's world. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, providing therapy when you need it. We cover a lot of different topics here at Mighty Parenting, and many of them touch on concerns that would be easier to handle with help for either you or your teen, because the entire family impacts each other. So if you struggle, it impacts your child. And when your child struggles, it makes a huge difference if you learn new skills and new ways of interacting with them. Our sponsor can help. BetterHelp provides confidential professional help through licensed therapists. They match you with a therapist based on your situation, and then you can communicate through message, chat, phone, and video for one flat fee and get all the help you need. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. They work with clients to handle things like depression, anxiety, anger, family conflicts, sleep, LBGTQ matters, relationships, support in reaching your goals, and much, much more. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you can get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com listener. Join me and over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash listener. Our conversation today is with Isabel Robledo. Isabel is a 17-year-old kids and teens mindfulness coach. She's the co-founder of Making Mindfulness Fun, where she helps kids and teens to be confident and creative using mindfulness and the Enneagram. Isabel, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you so much for having me on. So Isabel, you have said that teens misunderstand mindfulness, and I think that's true for parents as well. It's a buzzword right now, but that doesn't mean that we all understand it, even though we're hearing about it and maybe even using the term. So would you explain exactly what mindfulness is? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So there's a lot of talk about mindfulness nowadays and mental health for teens. And I think there's a lot of it that is great. But at the same time, I feel like there's a lot that's missing the point. For example, if you search mindfulness or mindfulness for teens, you're going to get a lot of videos on meditation, calming your breath, yoga, and those are great, but that's not the core of mindfulness. And I think a lot of teens struggle with, and young people struggle with incorporating mindfulness because they're forgetting the root. And I've seen this so much because as I grew up, I was really, my life was centered as a homeschooler around mindfulness at its roots, which helped me so much understand this is that 
Mindfulness is a mindset. It's how you do something with a state of awareness for yourself and awareness for things around you. So mindfulness, a mindfulness practice could be anything that you do. It could be drawing, painting, your sports, whatever it is you love to do could be your mindfulness practice. The whole point of mindfulness is so that you're practicing awareness. And I think this is such a valuable thing for teens to learn because they can get caught up in like, oh, I need to do more. I have to do more yoga or do more meditation to be good enough to be able to be mindful so I'm not feeling stressed when really it's about doing less. It's about just being aware of what you're doing. It's really interesting for me when I started on my journey of mindfulness and meditation and other tools that I practice for stress relief. I had never had a hobby in my life and coloring had become a thing. So I found a coloring book that I really liked and some awesome pencils and still it just like, okay, fine. I'm coloring while I'm talking to people. It's keeping my hands busy, but it wasn't impacting me until I realized that that was the missing piece is that this was supposed to be about mindfulness. It didn't matter necessarily what the looked like when it was done. And when I, when I took that opportunity to just be there, to feel the pencil in my hand and to, to experience each stroke of that pencil on the paper and to sink into it, it became so incredibly relaxing. When I stopped stressing about the final product and just looking at the pencils and picking whichever one looked good to me at that moment. And then coloring whichever part of the page seemed like the place to go without all that thinking about the end in mind. And Mm -hmm. for me, I kind of feel like that, that was a learning moment that helped me understand what it meant in other areas of my life, other moments of my life, whether it was a conversation with my kids or we talked to Elizabeth uh, Isabel before the show, we were talking about camping and backpacking and all those kinds of things. All of that is so much better when we do what you said, where we are really just being aware of that moment. So Mm -hmm. could you share a little bit about how you create that awareness, how you practice that for yourself in each moment of your day? Yeah, sure. So, um, always growing up, like I said, my mom, she kind of raised us without knowing to be very mindful. She incorporated a lot of mindfulness concepts. So I did have a bit of a head start there. So I understood the core concept of just focusing on what makes you feel good. But it just sort of, um, I thought this was so important is that as I was growing up, it led me, what led me to being so mindful now is that she always just told us, you know what, just I don't care if you necessarily do the stereotypical school, do your science and all that, as long as you're focusing every day and you're focusing on something that makes you happy. And I thought that was very valuable. And it was a mindfulness lesson because I'd spend all my day arts and crafts and especially drawing. And so drawing became something like you said, I totally agree with what you said about the coloring and the art and picking the colors. It was such a mindfulness practice for me to start off with. And so that was one I kept for so long and I'll pick up every now and then. But now, nowadays, as I've become more of an entrepreneur, the biggest ways I practice mindfulness, I do do meditation and yoga a little bit, but because I have such a busy lifestyle with climbing and my work, I don't do that as much. So my biggest mindfulness practices actually become in the everyday moments where I love to hike a lot. Me me and my family, we hike so much and rock climb a lot. So I'll focus on being mindful as I'm hiking and just focusing on the thoughts. It's basically a walking meditation. And I think that's a really powerful way that I've been working on being mindful because it 
it really checks me and because we can uh, be mindful while we meditate, but then we forget to, we go back to our busy lives after sometimes, whereas the walking meditation, I feel like has really helped me be mindful in everyday life. And so, yeah, meditation, walking meditation, and just a lot of, um, I talk with my family a lot about mindfulness. And so I think that's a really valuable one is now that we're all mindful, we can create a mindfulness practice with each other by being so self-aware. We can talk about what we're struggling with, what our ideas are and self-reflect and talk about our current struggles. It really helps a lot. And I know this can be a little challenging to explain, but what do you mean when you say, like when you're hiking, you make it a walking meditation, you're just mindful while you're doing that. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that, so, you know, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What do you actively do or not do to turn this from, Hey, I'm hiking into this is a mindfulness practice. This is a walking meditation. Yeah. So uh, to break it down, I always try to, whenever I'm teaching kids or teens, and I want them to understand the concept of mindfulness so that they can incorporate it everywhere. Just practice noticing, like you pause in the moment right now and you take a breath. And I want you to notice what you see, hear, smell, feel, and are thinking. And just those five things, see, hear, smell, feel, and think, those are the concepts. If you can just bring awareness to those five things, you're going to start being mindful of the present moment. Just pay attention what's going on around you and notice your thoughts. And then now, boom, you're mindfulness. You're a mindfulness master. Just keep doing that. So a walking meditation is, I, I mean, there's always um, meditation is a very broad subject. There's so many different meditations you can do, different guided meditations. You have a lot of free space um, to play with when it comes to that. But in general, when I do my walking meditations, whenever I'm hiking, I just try to focus on noticing when my thoughts wander. And especially when I start to, especially when I'm doing more intense hikes, I, our brains start to go to negative thoughts because we're getting tired or we have this negativity bias where we start going to trying to point out the bads, you know, it's um, science that we tend to notice more negatives than positives because we're looking, our survival brains looking for danger. So I just try to notice when my brain's going those routes and be like, okay, I notice my thoughts. I'm starting to think about this. Now, let me see if I can focus a little more on something else so that I feel good. Because in the end, mindfulness is about making us feel good and be healthy. So I focus on when my thoughts wander and also trying to embody my body. I like to do this one a lot, especially because I'm into a lot of visualization and manifestation, which I, we don't have to get into. But I focus on, okay, if this is what I feel like in this moment. I'm mindful of this moment, how I feel. How do I want to feel right now? And then I start focusing on how I want to feel as I'm walking. And I say, okay, if I felt really joyful, calm, happy, how would I walk differently? Would I walk slower? Would my gait change? Would I start paying attention to the trees more? And I start to act more like that. Simple things like that are such a great way to be mindful just by first checking in with yourself and then asking yourself the question of, well, how do I want to be right now? That's such an interesting idea to go, okay, what do I want to be? And what would I do? How would I be in this world? As you said, how would I walk? What would I do if I felt that way? I think that it's, I think it, it gives people a step to take beyond just notice your thoughts and let them go. I, I know when I talk to people, they time when they're like, oh my gosh, I can't just let thoughts go. That's crazy. 
And for many people, especially people who are kind of all caught up in something or people who are type A, you actually gave us something to do in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so valuable, especially for teens, because in the end, this is like, again, with all the mental health stuff is that I think it's so valuable again, like nothing against what all these people are saying, but they kind of get caught up in the small details instead of remembering the big picture. Like guys, the point of mindfulness of becoming aware is so that we can change our way of life so that we can first become aware, but then the next step is to re-script who you want to be. Step, start be aware and like, okay, here's how I feel. And now the next question you have to ask yourself is now, how do I want to feel? And that's such an important part that I'm not from the, that's why from the start with all of my clients and people I work with and all my stuff, I start to ask people that question. Let's be mindful. Now tell me how you want to feel, because this is in your way, your end goal that we, I want you to help you want to help you get you to, but we're going to enjoy the journey, but we have to know where we're aiming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So practices like this, any type of mindfulness practice, any meditation practice, yoga, sports practice, ballet, like something that we do all the time, just kind of becomes who we are over time. And we embody that. So for you, Isabel, I'd like to go back in time and tell us a little bit about how you actually first started using mindfulness. You told us just a touch about that with your mom and your art, but could you tell us a little bit more about how you started using it, kind of your discovery process of, oh, okay, so I am actually being mindful and this is what this means. And then, you know, learning about that and learning how to use it more effectively for yourself, because you said your mom didn't actively teach you mindfulness. In retrospect, you're saying she taught you mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to try to keep this. I could end up going really long on this story, but I'll try to summarize it without keeping out any basic details. But here's, yeah, this is how I really discovered mindfulness because when I was growing up, I, you're, that's exactly what I said is that my mom by default taught us mindfulness without knowing it. So I wasn't even mindful that I was being mindful, but I started to notice about a couple years ago when I was traveling full-time now to preface this, I had always lived the stereotypical American dream. I had a beachfront house with my family. My parents would work nine to five. And eventually my mom decided that she's kind of tired of it. She didn't like the long commutes to work. She didn't like that. She wasn't seeing her kids as much. And so in 2015, my mom decided, let's just go on an RV camping trip. We had never camped before. She had never camped before. My dad had rarely camped and we loved it so much. So she asked herself and asked my dad, why should we stop traveling like this? I mean, we can work from the, we can work still and live in an RV. So in that year of 2015, we moved out of our house, sold our Prius, our couch, everything. We sold everything and moved into a 30 foot RV, which is really small. And we decided to travel full time. And so I've been living full time in an RV for the past six years. And I've traveled to Europe for six months. I've been to New Zealand and Bali and it was a little hard for me to make this change. I was a pretty easygoing child, so I was open to the idea. But, you know, such a big change in lifestyles definitely poses some struggles. But um, we also weren't traveling for, we weren't traveling in luxury. We weren't going to spas and hotels. We were traveling in search of adventure because we love to adventure. So we'd be going off-grid down these 
crazy dirt roads, shaking up the RV to get to a rock climbing destination that has apparently amazing rock climbing, or we'd be going off grid to an amazing hike. And so this brought a lot of discomfort for me. And I eventually started realizing as I was doing these adventures, it was definitely pushing me outside my comfort zone. And so, for example, I was like, one day it kind of hit me. I was climbing this huge rock face up in the air and I was only 13 or 14 years old. And I realized I'm really scared right now. I feel like I'm going to die. I'm just panicking. I want to come down from the wall. And then I started noticing those thoughts. I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to die right now. Well, technically I'm tied into my rope. I can't fall anywhere. That's an irrational thought. And then I started climbing again and I kept going. I started noticing all those thoughts coming up because I was being pushed into such discomfort. And I was noticing, wow, I have a a lot of irrational thoughts going on. And so that was my start of being mindful of my mindfulness. I was starting to become mindful of what mindfulness truly was because I was being in those uncomfortable situations where I had to rationalize my thoughts and realize, hey, I'm not going to actually get hurt here. I'm safe. Look at what's going on around me. And I'd get to the top of those rock faces and be like, oh my gosh, I just pushed myself up this rock face and look at this amazing view I'm seeing. I just have such a deep appreciation for life right now because I'm seeing this huge valley and ocean just expand out before me. It was so beautiful. It was such a big moment for me. And so as I continued to travel, the more I pushed myself through hiking and rock climbing and a little bit of mountain biking, I was starting to see mindfulness more and I started to become more mindful. And that started me on my mindfulness journey where I started to get really curious about that concept. I started to get really curious about, oh, there's this thing called self-growth and I can push myself more if I just become aware of my thoughts. And at the same time, my mom has started becoming, she did a yoga teacher training and she started getting into yoga and stuff. So she would share the books with me that she read. And I started getting really into self-discovery through books as well. And now here I am. And I've like incorporated all of that into both my work and my life. And it's just been really incredible to see that journey so far. Your story about the rock climbing. It, I mean, number one, it's normal, right? This, these are fears that come up. You're, you're on the mm-hmm. side of a rock face. Most people are going to go, <laughs> oh my gosh, I could fall. I could die. Right. But you had mentioned earlier this idea of negative thoughts and how as human beings, we are actually hardwired to look for danger so we can protect ourselves. And unfortunately, in today's modern world, with our 24-hour news cycles and the speed of life, that's all we see is danger coming at us. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that's all that's there. Yes. And I appreciate that aspect of, of the mindfulness. I, have you, I'm trying to remember if you had talked about the idea of when you, when you saw that negative thought or scary thought, downward terrifying thought of, I could die, I'm going to die right now. You went, wait a minute, what's the worst case scenario? What mm-hmm. do you think about jumping to that place for a minute, going to that when you see um, a really when you see, when you have a thought that scares you, what do you think about quickly popping over and going, what's the worst case scenario? Yeah. So one, I think it's so valuable to do that because, um, it's like, you know, um, you know, when you're a kid and you think there's a monster in your closet. And so you just see this darkness as you're going to bed and you don't know what's in the darkness. So you're just more and more scared of it because you're projecting all these ideas. Oh, it could be this big, scary monster. And then the light turns on and, oh, it's just my 
uh, pile of laundry on the chair or something that I was projecting. So I think that's a lot like a good representation of what fear is and what worst case scenarios are because because we avoid the thought and we think it's going to be scary, it ends up we end up projecting it to be worse than it is. Whereas if we're mindful and we just look into those, it's going to be way less scary because we're recognizing it. So when I was on those rock faces, um, my mom always raised me to, again, like she said, you have to like not, you have to check yourself and be mindful. And so I'd be on those rock faces, so terrified. And she'd be like, are you actually going to fall? Am I, and I'd ask myself, am I going to fall? Well, no, I have a secure knot tied in. I have a harness on. I can literally not fall. So that's not the worst case scenario. I'm not going to die. Is the rope going to cut? Nope, that's not possible either, really. Um, am I going to maybe swing a couple feet and then land on the wall perfectly fine? Yes. So am I afraid of swinging? Well, it's not going to hurt me. So I'm going to be fine. And so I think it's really important that we do that. And especially when it comes to rock climbing um, in general, I see that a lot. So I feel like rock climbing has been a really good mindfulness practice for me for that, because it really shows you to not to notice if you have this fear that's irrational. And especially because when we're on the rock face, it immediately brings up our fear of death, like as survive as primal human beings that comes up but it really isn't a possibility so it really makes you see see life differently <laughs> i think it does and you know we're talking about parents here and of course we all are going to want to share this with our kids and i think one of the best ways to share it is to do it ourselves and just talk about what we're experiencing i also do want to caution parents my husband and i were just having a conversation the other day he is on the spectrum. So his brain is very differently wired from mine. And for me, popping to the worst case, you know, a thought comes into my head. I pop to the worst case scenario and go, oh, I can handle that. Or like you said, Isabel, that's irrational. That's not actually going to happen. What could happen? Oh, this could happen again. Okay. I can handle that. And then I can let it go. However, for him, because of the way his brain's wired, he tends to get stuck in that worst case scenario when I spout it out. So I just want to caution us to, to maybe share what we've done or a feeling we've had about it, but not necessarily try to walk our kids through our own mindfulness practice and the specific thoughts we get into, because we can end up making it more difficult for somebody else or maybe kind of freaking them out. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you, yeah, I totally agree with that because um, my mom and dad are actually a lot like what you say, because um, my dad is just, he's just very much more a rational, analytical, um, detail-minded person. And my mom is the total dream person. She'll throw out ideas, throw out theories, very theoretical. And so she'll say like, well, I think we could do this, but the world might end or something like that. She loves to research and my dad will get caught up on the one small detail. Like um, you said, we might get a flat tire. So I'm going to focus on that. And he gets stuck in those emotions where it's, and it's just so important, like you said, to accept people's different wirings and help them work through that and try to meet at a middle point. Because, you know, my mom, like it's her nature to be theoretical. And so she doesn't have to entirely shut that down and uh, not be accepting of who she is. Um, or having feel like she shuns that, but my, also my dad, um, but she also should meet my dad halfway and same goes for my dad on that side that he might be more analytical. And so but with his own mindfulness practice, he should notice, oh, I'm getting caught up on the details right now. Let me see if I can play with her idea a little bit, but I'm also going to respect my logical nature. 
Mm-hmm. So as you're working with your clients, your clients are, are teens, you work with 20 somethings as well. Yes, I'm, uh, I've currently worked with mostly kids because of my market I've been marketing towards, but I plan on expanding much more to older ages. Well, and the fact is, is that the principles are the same. The principles yes. are about human beings and helping people walk through it is just a matter of helping them adapt to adapt to specific circumstances, which you understand because you're in that you're in that same place. But what I'm curious about is, as you talk to your clients, what things are you hearing from them that impact their ability to practice mindfulness? Are there family scenarios? Are there things that we as parents maybe do that make it harder for them? Are there things we could do that would help them? So I think the biggest thing to keep in mind, I've seen this actually with all ages from kids who are seven to even adults who I talk to in my travels is that a few main issues that I see that I think need to work on uh, for people. If you, if you have someone in your life who is trying to is work, say, for example, working with me, or if they're just struggling and they need more mindfulness and you want to know what you can do to help them. One, that's why um, I use the Enneagram in my coaching is that people are all wired different and they're just, we are all, we can agree at points, just so lost. We feel so lost. We don't understand what we're supposed to do and we don't know exactly who we are. So I feel like knowing each other's Enneagram, knowing your own Enneagram and knowing that person's Enneagram is just so beneficial because they don't know who they are. They don't know what they need. And just by being able to approach them and know, oh, this is what they're feeling. I understand how they're working. This is their wiring. This is what they're craving and needing can be so valuable and so important, no matter what age you are, whether you're a 12 year old who's been struggling with anger issues and you know that, yeah, you know, your Enneagram that'll help so much. Or if you're an adult trying to go into life or being a parent, or if you're trying to find out what college you want to get into, knowing your Enneagram is so important because we just feel everyone feels so lost. And I think is the, this is the biggest one for teenagers is that all the teenagers I've met throughout my travels, through my work, they're just in general, there's an overall feeling of, I don't know who I am. We want to fit in at this time. This is our desire. This is our primal need to have a community, but we don't quite get that because there's this division. There's this fear of being rejected, rejected. There's so much of this. And so just by being able to accept people or help uh, your teenager, or whoever, help them flourish um, and let them be who they think they are and trying to help them understand maybe using their Enneagram and just giving them space is so important. But at the same time, not just giving them space, but also being there for them to almost challenge them. And I think this is a really important one is that sometimes people need someone who's challenging them and asking them those questions like, okay, you're feel lost right now. Well, what do you want to do? Where do you see yourself going? How do you feel right now? Like let them push themselves a little into those, what we call quote unquote, uncomfortable thoughts, which could be scary, but they're so valuable. And we often are scared of these questions of where do you see yourself going? Who are you? What do you actually want are so important because they aren't as scary once you face them. And it is so helpful in our lifetime. It's so helpful for us going through life when we actually face those questions of, where do you see your, where, let's be real with what your situation you're in right now. Is it that bad? Okay. We check that off. Okay. Where do you see yourself? What is it you really want? 
that's, I think, like just such a simple question that can be overwhelming. But if we can come to the root of what is it you want, that is beginning our mindfulness practice, especially for teens, because it builds comes to the truth of it. Like, you know what? I, I want friends. I, I want to be accepted. I want to be successful. And then asking why this was a really important one, because my mom asked me this question a lot. Why? And I, I've spent my whole coaching life, my whole life as a coach, trying to give this to people because not enough people are being asked why. And I think that is so important. What do you want and why? Because this is how we become mindful. Oh, I want friends. Why? Because then I'll feel good enough. What do, you, what do you want to be successful? Why? Because I'll feel good enough. Chances are that's the answer to the questions. But I think that is the most important thing for us to do is be the person for other people who's both giving them space and understanding, but also being there to challenge them. So it's this balance we have to play with. And it's definitely not a linear process sometimes, but doing our best just to be like, hey, look, I understand you're in an Enneagram seven. I know you want to have fun. But now I'm going to challenge you a little and say, hey, I noticed you've been doing these behaviors. So what is it that's going on and what is it you want and why? I love that. And it ties into so many of the other conversations that we've had here on Mighty Parenting, where we can be talking about all different topics. And yet our experts keep telling us, let your kids lead, ask them what they think of a situation, what they want to do. And you've added this why, which I think is, as you said, that mindfulness piece, and that can be very powerful. And also a place where parents, I want to say, I think after we ask why we need to practice silence and possibly some distance. Isabel, you just said, this is not a linear process. It's not like we're going to sit down and we're going to go, well, why do you want more friends? And they're just going to pop up an answer. Mm -hmm. They're going to need to think about it at least for a few minutes, typically, and they might need to make more, take more time, especially if they're taking the question very seriously. I think the more serious you are about asking yourself questions like that, the longer it can take to find the real answer. Or you might go through a few layers really quickly. If you keep asking why, why, why you go through a few layers really quickly, and then you can come to that core. Or I've also found the opposite too. Like It'll take some time to go through the layers and then that core will just kind of pop out and it often pops out with tears Mm -hmm. because that, that what we want us knowing who we are at our core and what we want and need is there and kind of just waiting to pop out and we suppress it. And so sometimes it just does come out, but parents, this is just that cautionary moment. We need to let them do it in their own time, their own space. But Isabel, I love that asking why. And also I just want to mention, you know, we talked just a little about Enneagram here. We're not talked about, but mentioned Enneagram. We did do an episode on that in episode 158. So if you're not familiar with it, it's um, a a personality assessment, but Isabel, I'll give you a chance to tell me in just a second what you love about it. I know I love it. I've never been a personality indicator person. It's just not been my jam, but the Enneagram, I love and adore, and I know it has helped me a ton. So what is it that you love about the Enneagram, Isabel? Yeah, so I discovered the Enneagram when I was 15, maybe 14, probably 15, and I 
this was at the time of my life where I was like, um, you know, I was 15, I was a teenager. And I kind of had that question that most teens have just where you get to the root of, I don't know who I am, who am I? And so I came across the anagram and I it had started because I was just like, Ooh, this might tell me who I am and I'll have an identity finally. But I looked it up and I mistyped a few times. Eventually I got to the point where I asked my mom and sister to help me and they understood me way more than I did, which is very common for most people. And I've discovered that I was the Enneagram type nine. And the second I read the first page on what the Enneagram nine is, I felt so understood in my life. Every So much of my life just clicked together. I finally understood why I had acted the way I did in the past. I understood why I felt anger. I understood why I felt alone sometimes and why, even though I was surrounded by people, it just made everything make sense. And I think that's so important because we can go into this mindfulness journey and we can tell teens, you need to practice more mindfulness or young adults, anyone. You can say, just be more mindful. There's no, okay, what is the step process for that? It can just be vague sometimes. Like, what is the goal? What am I trying to find? The Enneagram is such a great tool for mindfulness, I feel like, because it gives you such a great roadmap if applied correctly. And it can help you see so much because it shows you your wounds and your gifts and your core desire. And I think that is so valuable because we, I think the Enneagram is accurate. Like everyone has been one Enneagram type. And if we can come to see that, oh, those are my childhood wounds. Those are my core fears. And those are my core desires. It makes mindfulness so much easier and it makes being aware of ourselves so much easier. And not to mention even the layers of self-growth you can do with it because, you know, you probably already know that there's the growth numbers and the stress numbers. And I think that is so important as well. And it makes also relationships with one another, whether it's uh, partnership or parent child relationships, friendships, it makes it so much easier to understand one another. And so that's been the main thing for me. And it makes it also it find, makes it easier. I've used the Enneagram so much to help people find their mindfulness practice because based on your Enneagram, how you should be practicing mindfulness will be so different. I love that. And I appreciate you taking time, especially I, you know, before we talked, you guys are on the road again and you're actually sitting in your truck <laughs> to have this conversation <laughs> with me. So I appreciate that you're doing this and taking time out of this wonderful life that you've built for anyone who wants to learn more about you or connect with you Isabel, where can they do that? Yeah. So you can just go to isabelrobledo.com and you can find all my resources where I link to my YouTube channel, my Instagram, and all of that. You can always find it there at isabelrobledo.com. You can find my Teespring there as well, which is my main business, side business right now. And on Instagram, you can find me at keepitmindful.kids. And of course, we'll have a link to Isabel's site in the show notes. So if you're walking or running or driving, don't worry about it right now. You can pop back to the show notes and get that later. And thank you, Mighty Parents, for being here, for joining us today. I always appreciate you. And remember, if you're here, if you're listening, you already are a Mighty Parent. You got this. And I will see you next week. Mighty Parents, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. If you're ready for more, visit MightyParenting.com where you can get your free email series, How to Talk to Your Teen, with tips for communicating with your teen in a way that builds connection and communication. You can also get Mighty Parenting Plus so you can access our private podcast, which includes all the Mighty Parenting episodes, behind the scenes, guest highlights, and more. And of course, remember to share the podcast with another parent to support them on their parenting journey.